0: This is the Innovation Engine podcast from 3 Pillar Global, your home for conversations with industry leaders on all things digital transformation and innovation. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine. I'm Scott Varho, Chief Evangelist at 3 Pillar, and I'm excited to be bringing you part 2 of my discussion with product guru and best-selling author Marty Kagan. Without further ado, let's dive back in. So, and and you talk about this as a as an important foundational element for successful product teams, and and so say more a little more about that. Like, what do you what do teams do with this that makes them then more more effective
1: in their in their role? Sure. Well, so imagine we've got a company. Let's say it's medium sized. There's 25 product teams, and they're all working on this new vision of a new whatever. anything but it's a it's some new cool thing that they're all excited about and of course they all have very specific problems to solve that they're working on solving they need to make sure that their solutions take them towards the vision if it doesn't take them towards the vision then that's the sort of the first question like well is, is this are we knowingly going to throw this away this is waste this is temporary this is a diversion or something most of the time it's like okay that's a problem we need a solution that takes us towards the vision because product visions take a minimum of three years to achieve for a lot of companies it's more like 10 to 15 so it's uh, you you work away chip away at this product vision so Every quarter, typically, a team has one or a small number of problems to solve. They're they're serious problems to solve. Like it's too hard for a new customer to get active or it's, you know, people don't like the service, so they uh, don't renew, whatever. They're hard problems to solve. You're working on that, but you want to make sure you're working on it in a way that not just delivers the outcome you need, but also takes you towards the vision. And in fact, the vision and the actual problem and outcome, which is what an OKR is, if you're not familiar with that, um, those are the two things you need in order to make sure your work is does what it needs to do.
0: Right, right. So which, which brings us to something that I know I've worked with clients that have struggled with this idly, um, is, is the metrics. Like, how do we know it's working? Um, especially if, if executives let go of control to the, to the degree that we're talking about and cede it to the teams, then then what is that feedback loop So where we know we're getting results? Um, those can be really, really tricky to define. Or, or have you found those less? Uh, well,
1: sometimes uh, there is a, a case that can make them tricky to define. But it, this is a whole other major topic, which is, and I want to be, first thing I want to do is address the comment you just made, because it's important that the team not think that the stakeholders are, letting go of control they're not really what because they are still responsible for which problems are being solved and they're still very responsible for like what is success so you know they uh, will often define the way we define you know growth is this Um, and so they have a very active role in this and then the team's job is of course to do as well as they can to achieve those outcomes for those problems that the company needs solved. So, um, now to the hard part is a lot of times it's very clear, and not many people disagree like what the right measure of success is. The problem is number one, sometimes that measure of success is what's called a lagging indicator, it doesn't show up for quarters from now. Do we really want to wait? two quarters to figure out if that stuff worked, Probably not. And the other thing is, a lot of times the product teams say, oh, we agree, that's the right measure, but the problem is we don't control all these other things. It requires marketing, it requires sales, it requires customer. All we do is just the product. So, so those sort of two uh, objections make it uh, not objection isn't the right word, but those two obstacles, concern, challenges, yeah, yeah, challenges. They make it harder in cases. Now, um, there's a whole art to doing this. Um, for the first case, we we usually look at what's called proxy KPIs. There are things that are highly correlated to those things that happen later. And we do this, acknowledging that it's not perfect, but it is much easier.
0: Right. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. And for the, um, for the second one, which is really a bigger topic um, where the team doesn't feel in control, the first thing they need to do is realize that no one team will ever be in control of everything. But the, mo- the incentive is that the product team take responsibility. In other words, as a product manager, I was told if sales isn't working, you have to get your ass out of the office and go sit with sales and figure out why,
0: mm-hmm. Yep.
1: right? It's not. It's not saying, "Oh, it's not our fault." It's
0: <laughs> That's saying, their job. Oh. No, yeah, that,
1: that whole thing falls down. That is not what we're supposed to do. Uh, so, however, there are um, there are often ways we can uh, measure our contribution to this. So it's important to keep in mind the overall goal. But look. There's things that we can control that are good indicators of those things. I don't want to give anybody a pass, but but those are the sort of the two challenges that you have to deal with.
0: Well, and there's an interesting uh, um, analogous uh, metaphor that I use a lot with quality when I talk about quality. I talk about quality being a summative metric, right? It's you know if you think about uptime, it takes you know a thousand things done well over and over and over again to maintain, you know, four or five nines of uptime, but it only takes one thing to bring it down. Um, and so just the discipline that a lot of little things are important to where we want to go. And, and if you think about achieving a product vision um, or, and, and the, um, the attached product strategy, it means we have to do a lot of little things well across a great number of humans and a great number of spaces, both internally and externally in, in the code and beyond. I, it's oftentimes interesting when I meet companies where sales is selling something different than what products trying to build, um, and that's that that's such an interesting disconnect. Um, but yeah, that's
1: um, not a little thing. But that is
0: <laughs> that is not a little thing at all. Um, and but it's a good reminder then that that it's important to you know build that bridge so that you know, hey, the yeah. value proposition that I'm trying to sell here is is uh, is a little different than the
1: way you're talking about it. Um, um, well, you, what you're really pointing out usually this discussion is framed as the difference between a product owner and a product manager mm. um, product owners are clueless about all these things we're talking about here
0: mm-hmm.
1: That's product right. managers this is their world yeah so they have to understand how the product is paid for how it monetizes how it's marketed how it's sold what the compliance issues are what privacy issues. Right, what this su- is what, what support
0: a- looks like. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, this All is of that. what a
1: product manager does. So, yep. um, so sales is one of the most important things they have to be concerned with. Yep. I mean, they have help, like product marketing does a lot of enablement tools and things like that. But ultimately, if there's an issue, product manager needs to address it. But for example, in a good product team, if the engineers don't think what the product manager put in the story is worth doing, they don't, they don't do it. They don't do it. So um, this is, uh, um, yeah, this is a, a very important point.
0: You mentioned that it's really important that we develop a mindset where everyone on the team thinks like an owner and not like an employee. Is, is this sort of an, uh, an, a version of that, what I just described?
1: Well, so um, uh, well, Jeff Bezos likes to say the easiest way to make people think like an owner is to make them an owner, which is why the uh, sort of the Silicon Valley ethos is to give equity to everybody yeah. on the team, right? <laughs> so that's the easiest way to make them really an owner, and it really does work. They feel like, but fundamentally, this is the difference between a engineer on a feature team, which just builds whatever crap they're told to build. And an empowered engineer, which knows, no, my job is to figure out the right solution. In other words, an empowered engineer cares just as much about what they build as how they build it.
0: Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to pivot us a little bit where we've got this new experiment. You know, ChatGPT is, uh, is, is taking over the world or at least over the headlines. And, uh we' we asked chat G- GPT to come up with a few questions and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a, a couple of them we'll see you can you can judge how good the question is um along with uh hopefully answering it as well how do you approach setting and achieving ambitious product vision and goals that's a small to- that's a small topic
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like an easy one to see that, that's well, a softball <laughs> the thing is, it's tricky is, obviously with chat GPT there's a lot of dumb things it says but if you listen to people, there's a lot of dumb things they say too. So it's hard to tell the difference sometimes <laughs> because of that. But um, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we were talking about. You mm. have vision, you have specific goals, and the goals are the problems you're solving. You want to solve it in a way that the, that you make progress towards the vision. So that does require good vision, it requires good goals, good problems to solve. One thing we haven't talked about is. Um, Uh, good problems to solve usually come from a product strategy, and that's a whole other skill set that's really important and often a differentiator between the best product leaders and the rest.
0: Yeah, and it's striking to me as I think about all the scaffolding that goes with this, right? Like, Like if you're a leader and you're dealing, you know, you got a blank slate and you're thinking about how do I architect an organization around these principles that you're talking about and thinking about the the product vision and the product strategy and making sure that i don't i, I if i'm going to use details it's going to be to illustrate not to mandate um that what that what that vision what that what that storyboard looks like in terms of the the, the change that we want to create and then figure out how to cascade um, into the ecosystem um, you know alignment metrics. You know subproblems. You know that. That's where your teams will sit is against those those components of that overall strategy. Um, it's a it's a really interesting exercise. Very challenging organizational design problem.
1: Well, the, there's a number of things in there for sure. First of all, when you do a product vision, you do have to be careful not to be prescriptive in there, because. First of all, you don't even know if it's possible. You, you're, you're designing something. You're showing an experience that will hopefully exist five years from now. If you knew how to do it, it wouldn't be a vision. So you, you just you believe it's worth working on. So You have to be careful. It's not that hard to do that. Most of the time when you're doing something for five to 10 years out, people clearly know. It's, it's like, that's, that's how my life should be like. But the details, are, we all have to work out all this stuff. So that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what else as far as uh, product strategies are not prescriptive. Because the whole point of them is to generate problems to solve. That leaves. That's what it means to be an empowered team is they're given a problem solved. They get to figure out the best way to solve it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's less risk when it comes to that. But... Yeah, this is what product leaders do: the vision, the strategy, and then the third thing that you didn't call out explicitly, but I think you in, you mean that uh, the organization itself—that's referred to as the team topology. How do you structure your product teams? Uh-huh. That's a hard problem as well. That's something for the head of product and the head of engineering to do together. Uh-huh
0: yeah, I, I was just party to to witnessing a, a large organization reorganizing in a fashion that's that's at least analogous to this <clears throat> and really trying to lead their executive committee through that process. And um, um, it was really great to see the level of collaboration between product and engineering um, th- that you would you would hope for if you were going to do this. Um, but it was also really interesting hearing the challenges and the just the level of uh, lack of comfort. Um, and one of the big questions that that folks were struggling with was how do we hold teams accountable? How do we fire a team? Where how would we know to fire a team that we feel like is just not is not able to to move the needle um, on on this? Like, where where do we when do we make that call and and how? Um, I'm curious if you have you have uh, an. Well, you're that-
1: basically describing uh, the in a normal model. The what we're talking about in a good company, you've got a topology. Let's say there's 25 teams, each team has one or more problems to solve and each of those problems has one or more measures of success, Mm -hmm. the outcome. Some teams will do great, other teams won't. Now, when a team doesn't do well, you don't necessarily fire the team because you might have asked them to work on an incredibly hard problem that you know is incredibly risky. Now if they thought they might be fired if they don't do it then they're just going to be incredibly conservative and you have virtually no chance of getting the whole outcome you hope for that that's that's called sandbagging that happens all the time with leaders that don't know any better mm-hmm. but uh, but if you want them to take risks you know they will but over, over time what we're looking at is you know different teams produce than others it might be because of the data they have it might be because of the technology they have it might be the skills that they have it might be the people they have lots of factors going on there yeah. so the the discussion is not normally around firing a team it it's more around like which teams were able to deliver on the critical outcomes we need and when we have a really critical outcome we will often assign it to multiple teams in the hope that at least one of them figures it out.
0: Right, right. Well, but what is so interesting, I think, is, um, so whether you're a publicly traded company and you're reporting earnings and and strategy um, um, publicly in that fashion, or you're talking to your board, your board oftentimes wants to hear like, okay, this is what we're going to do in the next three months. This is what we expect to happen. The missing element here is money. So thank you very much. Um, And I I wonder about that, that tension between Investor expectations and business cases, which is, you know, I've, I've worked everything out. I just need money now. Like that's the last piece. Um, and of course, what we're talking about is much more hypothesis driven, much so more
1: hypothesis driven. That's different. That's sauce. That's how we go ar- about solving the problem. That's not something the board cares about or needs to care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's going on is the board funds stuff and they're looking for results. In a, virtually every company, they're looking for results. Mm-hmm. The product leader then has to pl- place bets. A lot of people like this metaphor of placing bets. Mm-hmm. They're placing bets so that hopefully <laughs> by the end of the quarter, by the end of the year, they have made enough progress that the board gets what they need.
0: Right, right.
1: So it's the difference is the placing bet metaphor is much more closer to reality because anybody who believes the business cases and you're always going to make all this money we know that doesn't happen and they can right. convince them themselves so that's just that's just denying reality that's right so the question is what does a good leader do they don't need to talk about hypothesis driven development that's way down the stack they said look Here's the problem to solve. We're going to give it to the team. They're trained on what to do. They're going to look at the data. They're going to talk to customers. They're going to try out ideas. They're going to do prototyping. And the ideas that work, they're going to flesh out. They're going to take it to market. Yeah, that's all they care about is that do you deliver those results at the end of the quarter, at the end of the year?
0: Well, one uh, one I've quoted you several times. I remember uh, watching you. I think it was on Mind the Product, um, uh, maybe when you when you gave this quote. But... You quoted John Doerr as, as saying it takes missionaries, not mercenaries, to build great products. And I love that quote. I, I use it quite a bit. For 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 me, mission you know, is much more at the at the team level, less at the company level. But um, we're just swapping words. But I, I do I have worked with mercenaries, I've worked with missionaries. I know I can see the difference. But when you talk when when I think about missionary teams or mission-driven teams, ones that are are able to absorb a mission and, and go after it. I'm curious like what attributes or behaviors do you see on a team that 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 you would describe as as mission driven and, and able to operate in this model effectively versus ones that are are probably going to struggle what, yeah. what, what are some of those tells?
1: Well, first of all, I would not overthink it. It's pretty simple. Um, <laughs> um, mercenaries literally they will just build what they're told to build. Mm. So a product manager is much more like a business analyst saying, just uh, tell me the requirements, I'll document them. They've got uh, engineers that are like, just tell me what to code, we'll code it. That's mercenaries. And if you outsource those engineers, and a lot of those companies do, then they're literally mercenaries, mm-hmm. right? So. Um, but missionary, these are people that actually feel like an owner. That's like, it's, a, it's just another form of the Bezos quote. Mm. You know, they feel like, this is mine. This is, this is important. I'm working on something meaningful here, mm-hmm. and I own it. So if, this, if we don't come up with a good solution, because if you're a mercenary, you feel absolutely no accountability for whether they— It's like, look, I've been saying this is ridiculous for years. Yeah, but, but, but under but my
0: breath and in, in the corner. Yeah,
1: it's not my job, you know, that's what these executives are supposed to do. Oh, well. well. Uh, but if you're a m- missionary, you're like, no, this is on me. Like, I've been given that problem to solve. And, yeah. and until I solve it, I, I really haven't done what I need to do. And so um, it's not that hard. The difference is pretty, you know, because we're talking about, most people who've been trained as an engineer been trained as a designer, been trained as a product manager. This is what they've trained for. Mm-hmm. They're not training going to all that training just to implement somebody else's dumb idea
0: <laughs> right in theory, although you know it, it can seem like that is exactly what you're trained to do uh, in some ways. Give me perfect requirements. I'll give you perfect code. that's the that's that's the gig, right mm-hmm. Um but we you know one of the things uh, that I was actually really surprised at when i because I, I had been forced to outsource uh, multiple times, had horrible experiences. Um, and I was really surprised when I, I came to 3Pillar. This is the first time I've ever worked for a services company. And I was just amazed. I was actually told one of our biggest problems was too many of our teammates affiliate and identify with our clients more than they do with us. And I was like, that's the greatest problem I've ever heard of. <laughs> like, like, I cannot say I ever had an experience like that anywhere that I've outsourced. Um, and so, but it's actually been interesting. There've, there've been people who've cried when, you know, an engagement ends and, uh, the client's crying and our team's crying and, and just the, you know, and, and so for, for whatever reason, we've been able to hire people that are really looking for a mission. They're looking for a product that's meaningful, that they can get uh, personal about. And then our, we, through our product mindset, we
1: try to teach them how to do that effectively. Um, well, honestly, in my experience, that's what most people want. Yes. And. The surprise is not that your people wanted to do that. The surprise is your clients trusted you enough to allow that relationship. Yes. That's the state that tells you more about the firm than the other side. So that's that's really well said. Yep. But it's really true. And most agencies I know they wish their clients trusted them that much.
0: That's true. Well, and I can't, I can't say all of our clients are built equally (laughs) in that regard. Um, <clears throat> but but for the, our longest running ones, it's, it's been really been uh, phenomenal to see the 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 just the the bonds uh, among the among the team members, and, and and not even seeing the line necessarily between us and them. Um, yeah. That it's in an
1: ideal uh, scenario, you wouldn't see
0: it. That's right. That's right. Not not if that shared ownership and that set of sense of accountability is there. Um, and I, I I try to be very straightforward with our clients. You know, by definition, we're mercenaries, but we show up as missionaries because that's just more fun. Uh, you're going to get more value out of it. We're going to feel like we're making a difference. That's really the better way to go. And then I try to help them help them get there in small ways. I think I'm coming at the problem from the bottom up, and and you're going, coming from the top down. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, more and more of our clients uh, meet meet us in the middle. <laughs> um, so to, to round us out, uh, I know we're coming up on time. Um, I, I I could I think I have a feeling I could speak to you all day and and really really love doing so. But I do want to. Um, get to our, our closing here. We like to end on a quick speed round. Um, so if you don't mind, I'm going to fire a couple questions at you and, and, uh, hopefully you can answer them off the cuff. I'll try. <laughs> um, you've written a few books that have, have obviously stuck, struck a chord with me. What one or two books would you cite that have spoken to you at a really deep level?
1: Oh, well, most recently I loved the book called build by Tony Fidel. Mm. Uh, I've been recommending it to mostly ceos that really want to understand what the product operating model is uh he was by the way he was the main uh technical lead for the ipod and then the mm. iphone that's how i know then, his name yep yeah then the nest devices and then he sold that to google but um terrific book build Another book that I really like is Teresa Torres's um, Continuous Discovery Habits.
0: Yes, many so that, many parts of our conversation reminded me of her, the opportunity yeah. maps and so forth. Yeah, excellent. So I, I, I have to ask this question. So uh, your phone rings tomorrow if it hasn't already, uh, and Elon Musk is offering you the job of uh, Chief Product Officer for Twitter. Are you are you intrigued?
1: Uh, I would not work for him. I don't even. I, and in fact, I sold my Tesla stock and uh, moved to purchase of a car to a different manufacturer because uh, he's not the person I thought he
0: was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, man, many of us are a little disappointed at the side of him that we have discovered as of late. Um, well, thank you. I, I will I will stick to two speed round questions. Marty, it's been an, an absolute pleasure and uh, and and a joy. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, Scott. I enjoyed it. This has been an episode of the Innovation Engine, a podcast from 3Pillar Global. 3Pillar is a digital product development and innovation partner that helps companies compete and win in the digital economy. To learn more about 3Pillar Global and how we can help you, visit our website at 3PillarGlobal.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.